All right, everyone. Welcome back to Masari Crypto's Unqualified Opinions. I'm with the one and only Anthony Pompliano. Hello, uh, sir. And we are going to get started. We've got to do like the whole Twitter thing. I'm, re- I'm retweeting you right now. This. Retweeting a, a retweet of a retweet. Um, so this should be a good one. Uh, to uh, media personalities, I guess, uh, would, would be the, the charitable thing to Is call to us. That's it. That should be. Is that uh, 1251? Yeah, we're good. Whoa. 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 (laughs) Uh, So before we dig in, uh, we're going to clean up the sponsor messages just so we don't take quite as much time at the beginning of the live streams. uh, And I can get right into it with our guests. Uh, But that's a quick time for a reminder that this is brought to you by TokenSoft and TokenTax, two teams uh, that I'm personally vouching for, uh, Tim Ferriss style. Uh, we're not going to do ICO ads. We're not going to do uh, things that I don't actually believe in. But the token tax guys helped me out last year with my taxes and uh, could cer- certainly save, I think, a bunch of folks watching a ton of money, uh, particularly in light of the bear market last year. You might actually get money back from the government for a change. Um, and then Token Soft, who is working on soup to nuts compliance solutions for folks that are issuing digital assets. So uh, go to Token Soft uh, on Twitter. And token tax, uh, if you're looking for uh, a little bit of resolution going into tax day, which is less than a month away now, I guess 30 days away, somewhere in there. So pay your taxes and, uh, and do your compliance if you're doing a digital asset. All right. Uh, so with that said, uh, Pomp, you're always asking the questions. Uh, I know you just ad-libbed a little bit last it's more, week. It's more fun now. Right? Yeah. Uh, it's a hell of a lot more fun that way. You know, what's fascinating is I feel like, um, and I kind of had this too, too early on when I was writing every day, where I feel, I feel like people thought they knew me just from like reading and listening and like watching and, 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 and seeing me on a regular basis. But then they'd meet me in person and be like, I didn't actually like oh, know yeah. who you were or like anything about you. So people it wasn't expect me to walk in and just start yelling and screaming in all caps. Like yeah, 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 right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so like I think stylistically, like a lot of the tone and everything um, and style and personality, that's all authentic and, and genuine. Um, but I, I, I wanted to take the opportunity to peer, peel back the onion a little bit because I didn't realize as much of your background. I've, I've, I've actually chatted with you a couple times in person and then someone had pointed out um, that you started uh, in, it was the Army, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and so many different puzzle pieces kind of, kind of came together <laughs> when I watched an old podcast that you did and I DM'd you about and I was like, how the hell did I not know this? This is like the genesis for a superhero uh, of, of crypto and, and explains a hell of a lot of your attitude and, and, and approach towards life. So um, very, very quickly, uh, for those that don't know, um, oh, you're going to tell them. <laughs> this, this, this was actually how Pomp got started in his career. He was a combat engineer during the surge in Operation Iraqi Freedom. And combat engineers, I'm going to let you tell your side of it yeah, exactly yeah. what that is. But um, they're basically the ones that go around looking for IEDs, uh, which was the top source of casualties during, during the Iraq War. Um, so like full metal jacket style and, and that's probably a sensationalized version, but it, it legitimately was like superhero status to, to clear the paths and, and make sure, make sure that, um, the, the envoys that were following you yeah. were, were actually were settled. So 
I feel like that's as good a place to start as anyone, because that's like the beginning of your adult life, and that sets so much of the tone, I feel like, for, for the rest of your career, and in, in this case in particular, um, that's just a, a wild start that I don't, I have not heard anyone else talk about this. So talk a little right. about your time in the Army and like how that kind of shaped your outlook yeah. um, and, and just general style, which so many people have, have taken to in the industry. So uh, I signed up for the Army when I was 17. Um, and I uh, started out as a combat engineer, eventually became a, a sergeant in the U.S. Infantry. Uh, I deployed to Iraq when I was 20. Um, I actually got pulled out of the, during my junior year of college and uh, went to Taj Iraq, which is about uh, 12 miles north of Baghdad. And uh, there's basically two ways that people died, right? Got mm -hmm. shot or you got blown up. And uh, shooting is actually better because you can shoot back. <laughs> the, uh, the bombs are um, just unpredictable and it's really hard to combat them and, and all this stuff. Uh, and so we were tasked as combat engineers with uh, something called night route clearance, which mm -hmm. is middle of the night, go out, turn on all your lights, and you basically uh, have a convoy. The first two vehicles straddle the sides of the road mm -hmm. and they're driving. Uh, they don't have any guns on top. There's just single man vehicles called these Huskies. And um, as you're driving, you're looking for IEDs and, mm -hmm. uh, or uh, improvised uh, explosive devices. And the goal with it is you as a unit are clearing the road for everyone else to use because you can then say, two hours ago we cleared that route, there are no ambushes set up, there are no roadside bombs, etc. Uh, I was 20 when I went to do this. Everyone I was with was much older. And uh, I was too dumb and young to understand all of the dangers. Uh, to, you know, in hindsight, I just, it was fun. Uh, yeah. The lifestyle, you know, you're basically running around with a bunch of dudes, you got guns and it's dangerous, right? It's adventure, yeah. it's all this stuff. Uh, and um, I grew up a lot, which is shocking to say now, but um, at 20 when you're with you know, 30, 35 year olds and mm -hmm. they're talking about their mortgages and you just left playing football in college and going to parties, yeah. you know, kind of a life shock. Uh, and, and there's experiences where um, <clears throat> at the time you don't realize like, hey, this is gonna have a material impact on my life, but uh, there's everything from you know, getting shot at, uh, we, we had uh, one guy who died on a mission, um, and, uh, and then even getting into those Husky vehicles, uh, I, I tell us all the time, like if you want to understand the psychology of these people who we send to war, mm -hmm. uh, you, we used to get into the vehicles and have tourniquets already on our arms and our legs. So in this one vehicle, you're by yourself, there's a way to get in, there's a hatch. Um, so you basically get in and you close the hatch. If anything happens, you get blown up, anything occurs and you need to apply a tourniquet, you're the only person. So let's mm -hmm. say that you lost your arm, now you have to apply a tourniquet to yourself with only one arm. Not gonna happen, right? Or it's gonna be very difficult. And so basically what we would do is we would put the tourniquets on and have them loose, but you are essentially getting in, it's kind of like a death box, right? If you get in this thing and anything happens, you're by yourself. And so you have mm -hmm. the tourniquets on. And, and so like at 20 to like go through this experience, yeah. it messes with you, right? And, and not in like a negative way as much as it is uh, when I got back, uh, you're just like, dude, I'm gonna have the most fun I possibly can have in life. Like, this thing's gonna end at some point, and like, when I go out, it's all house money, I made it home. People are gonna tell epic yeah. stories about whatever I do between now and that day, right? Yeah. And uh, I think it's, uh, you know, the, the cliche thing of like, you get a new lease on life, all that kind of stuff is, mm -hmm. uh, it is you feel it. Um, and then the other thing was I went back to school, 
And then like I'm like there with like 21 year olds who are like, you wanna go to this party on Friday? I'm like, whoa, I don't care so much about all that other like, you know, you, yeah. you, you kind of get indoctrinated back into it. And so uh, yeah, it's hard to tell like how much of that impacts, but like that was definitely a defining moment in my life where I came back and uh, and thought differently. And 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 so how does that wiring change? I mean, does it because it's it's surprising how quickly you get used to things, right? Oh yeah. That seems like something very hard to get used to, right? Strapping up, we're going to clear IEDs. Oh, yeah. we're, we're, we're going out at night. We're not sure if there are people guarding these things. Yep. And, and you know, we're basically, we have the target on our backs oh, yeah. so that we can clear target. away and that it's not everybody else. They, when I was in Iraq, uh, we used to clear this one road uh, in a stretch of it. I was actually just telling somebody the story. About a half mile stretch was known as IED Alley. Mm -hmm. And there was, I don't know probably 20 of these different locations around the uh, country that IED alley because there are a bunch of these things would go off. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember while we were there, one of the first weeks, uh, somebody said, hey, be careful. Uh, there's bounties on everyone's head. You know, I, I don't know what that really means, whatever. And uh, at the time, I forget the exact amount. Like, I don't say 10 grand, 5 grand, yeah, yeah. 15 grand, whatever. Basically, if uh, Al-Qaeda killed a U.S. soldier and was able to prove with video evidence that they killed a U.S. soldier, there was these bounties. And so you don't think about like when you're driving on the road, like, hey, people are really are actually have a bounty on my head. Yeah. You're thinking much more kind of offensively, like, I hope somebody does something because they don't want to mess with us, right? Yeah, you yeah, kind yeah. of have this like aggressive mindset. Um, but at the same time, to, to your point, it's almost better if there's someone else there versus just trying to clear the field of, of the IEDs. Well, so at least you feel like you can fight back versus. Yeah, just it's just it, it, it's like going into an environment where you're hyper aware of your surroundings and yeah. you know that there's danger, you, you're very well prepared or, or more prepared for a dangerous situation than if you and I are walking down the street in New York City and a bomb went off. Mm -hmm. Nobody's hyper aware. No one's, yep. you know, in, a, in kind of that mindset. And so, um, you know, you've got a gun, right? I mean, all these things that, that help. Uh, but the other thing was um, you very quickly get used to the danger, right? And mm -hmm. so uh, I... I laugh all the time. Like we go on missions and people are sleeping on the way to do whatever, you know, like between yeah. when we leave the gate and like, let's say we're going to go, you know, search a village or something. There's literally people sleeping in the trucks on the way there. And when you first get there, that's not what happens, right? Everyone mm -hmm. is like literally gripping their gun. Everyone's super stressed out. And by the time that you're ready to leave, you're just like, this is the new normal. Yeah. And uh, I, I, uh, I joke, um, you ever seen the movie? Uh, I think it is the one where... Um, what is it? Uh, Zero Dark Dirt. Yeah, 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 yeah. They kill uh, Bin Laden. They got the small talk beforehand. And they're in the helicopter and like dudes are sleeping, right? Like <laughs> that is so yep. real because it is, uh, that is the least stressful, least dangerous part of being there yeah. is before we go actually do the dangerous stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyone else in the world think that's crazy, but. It, it, it is uh, <laughs> nuts to someone that hasn't been in that environment, but you know, I, I, I suppose understandable maybe for, for other folks that have been in that situation. There's a lot of people who have been in the military, uh, in tech, that you would never guess. I won't out them, okay. but uh, a lot of investors, um, a lot of entrepreneurs, and many of them would shock you who they are. Mm -hmm. uh, immigrants, people who are very kind of laid back, you would never associate with mm -hmm. kind of military service. And uh, the one thing um, that I think I'm proud of them and myself is just like nobody goes around and like rubs it in people's faces, right? No mm -hmm. one's like, I did this, so I deserve X. Uh, I think that type of training really um, 
somebody asked me recently, like, you know, what was the biggest experience from it all, right? Or what did I learn from it? And it's this idea that like you can't force people people to follow you. You have to earn yep. the right to lead them. And I think that that shows, like in these other folks I'm thinking of, like that shows in all of them. Uh, and it's pretty cool to see, you know, we've been at war for 17 years now. Like there's a lot of bets. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no kidding. Um, well, uh, you know, our first hire at Masari was uh, a naval vet, Hector, uh, and he actually came up with the name Masari. I'm not even gonna tell you uh, what the working name was, but we knew we wanted to hire him. It was uh, Token Eyes. Like that you was see, like see how I got asked a question and got him. Token eyes. Token eyes. Right? Uh. Yeah. Uh, and and it was not meant to be like a go to market name or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was kind of like a working title. But uh, one Secret of his first, one name? of his first emails back to us was really like everything that you guys are working on. I have one small suggestion. We should change the name and hear some ideas. <laughs> it was super thoughtful and it was kind of like indicative of. of uh, He's of in the rules. navy, so he has to be smart because he can't be tough, right? The navy. Well, he was the navy, navy academy, guys. right? Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they picked you out like the football tryout. The, na- the navy guys, guys will get all upset. I said that. Yeah, I, I'm joking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but um, anyways, that's that's a great place to start because I I feel like um, an experience like that. It does. It, it's got to just change the total uh, outlook on life and, and how you approach things. So, um, what's the path between you come back to college mm-hmm. um, from your time in Iraq and you fall into this weird crypto rabbit hole? Because there's a lot of stuff and, and yeah, other yeah, building yeah. blocks that happen in between. Um, I feel like that first building block is a major one. Yep. Uh, your mindset shifts. You come back to college. What's next? And how, how do you think about... Yeah. yeah. Now you're an adult. Now you know you're a man than than serving. <laughs> I'm with still men, figuring right? that yeah. out. <laughs> right. No, I think that so there's kind of three major things. One, uh, when I went back to college, um, at the time I didn't realize it, but I greatly benefited. Uh, I played football before. Went back to playing football, and um, a lot of guys that I was uh, deployed with had, um, you know, pretty significant psychological issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, you're going from a normal person to this high stress, you know, dangerous environment. Uh, where you just see a bunch of stuff you wouldn't normally be exposed to, then you go back to that normal environment, right? So all the PTSD stuff, et cetera. For me, I went from a small unit of mostly males in a violent atmosphere where it's us first them, mm-hmm. right? To a football team where small unit of men, violent environment, <laughs> us first them, just you don't die if you mess up, right? States. You don't have a gun. So it was kind of this, uh, in hindsight again, like it was this nice transition into like I didn't go right back to just being by myself and you like have to put on a suit and tie. Yeah, jacked up and, and now I gotta go to work, right? Yep. Um, and, and so I think that that was a major advantage that I had over a lot of other folks mm-hmm. uh, that wasn't intentional, but, but I benefited from. Uh, coming out of college, didn't do a single job interview, anything. My father basically told me you can get a job or you can create a job. Didn't really know what creating a job meant, but super interesting compared to getting a job. Um, and uh, again, you know, you got this new lease on life, so you're kind of, let's go have fun. Um, started a company with uh, a couple of friends from high school. We knew nothing, uh, made every mistake in the book, um, but, but basically survived. Uh, and that led to, um, to building a second company. I uh, was able to sell that company again. You know, small technology. Were the first two companies? The first one was a uh, online advertising business. Mm-hmm. Uh, we essentially monetized the uh, the page where in public schools uh, people would go check their grades. Mm-hmm. So the login page, millions of impressions per month in all these public school districts. There's no ads. There's nothing like the rest of the internet is monetized. That one page mm-hmm. had incredible traffic. It wasn't monetized. 
So probably, if it can be sold, you will sell it. That's I, that's, that's general. <laughs> so that's a, that's a, that's another building block, right? <laughs> I, 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 I yeah, just it, it was uh, it was fun and like we did everything that we shouldn't have done. It was super unscalable, like yeah. horrible idea, all this stuff. Um, but we made it work and uh, and, and learned a lot. And um, so the first two companies were uh, small technology companies. And what it really let me do was make all the mistakes in an environment where I was responsible for mm -hmm. whether we were successful or not. Yep. Right. Um, and again, walked out of those two experiences uh, probably with a little bit more money in my pocket than any of my friends had made at a regular job. Mm -hmm. Wasn't rich and, you know, kind of lived to tell a tale about it. Uh, and I ended up going to work at Facebook after that because I really wanted to go learn how do you build companies, right? And uh, there was two options. Go work at a large company that knew what they were doing from people who had done it mm -hmm. or go to business school and pay them to learn. One pays you, you pay the other. I went and I got paid to go learn um, at Facebook and uh, there's a group, probably four or five people who I have no clue why they did it. They just kind of took me under their wing in different capacities and they said, look, if you kind of follow this playbook, we're gonna teach you everything. Uh, and that's really where I learned all the growth stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. that, the Facebook growth team uh, is the best in the world, right? They, they have kind of become this farm system for the rest of Silicon Valley. And um, regardless of what you think of the brand, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you cannot uh, argue that they best, know gro best growth team growth hacking uh, because they invented it they, they, in many ways. Look, the, the thing that many people don't realize about <laughs> that growth team is Facebook understood better than anyone else, everything can be quantified, mm -hmm. right? And when you quantify something, you can set the test incorrectly, you can try to move the wrong metrics or all stuff, but everything can be quantified and everything can be um, influenced. You, you can try to grow metrics and, and, and change things uh, and they figured it out, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's multiple times where Facebook kind of plateaued in growth and they were able to push through it with data and all stuff. And, uh, and what they really taught me there was less about like, here is a growth hacking technique, and it was mm -hmm. more of here is a framework to think about this stuff. Here is how you do testing. Here's how you actually, um, you know, leverage feedback and, and data to uh, continue to move metrics in the way that you want them to. And uh, obviously, with all the Twitter stuff, etc., it's uh, it's proved to be pretty valuable. And so you were there until what year? I was there from 2014, beginning of 2014, to the, basically the end of 2015. Okay, um, and right into. There was a pit stop in between. So right. went there, went Snapchat, had a very short uh, stint at Snapchat, um, had, come, had come in there to- We don't have to talk about it, but- uh, I'm probably not allowed to talk okay. about okay. it, but uh, yeah, people can <laughs> Google. Um, and, uh, and then um, went and started uh, the venture fund after the Snapchat experience um, with uh, my partner, Jason Williams. Uh, which- Full tilt capital. So Jason, Jason. So, so this was what? So what year then? This was this beginning of twenty seventeen. Like end of sixteen, like or like mid mid sixteen we started. Uh, and Jason was fascinating. Like going back to the military experience, mm -hmm. one of the things I learned early on was you just want to roll with the most badass people, right? Like. Just, if you're good at something, go find everyone else who's good at other things and put them together and you'll figure stuff out, yep. right? And that's true for company building, it was true in the military, it was true you know, for uh, sports, etc. cetera. And, uh, and Jason could not have been more different in experience in that uh, he had basically had one job his whole life. He started a business um, when he dropped out of Yale Surgical Residency Program in I think like early 2000s. Mm -hmm. Over 15 years, built this company, sold for half a billion dollars, 1,400 employees, like, 
it's private equity funded, it's retail, you know, brick and mortars, yeah, yeah. it's healthcare, highly regulated. Everything was completely different than my experience, but we just had the same mindset to building companies, right? Mm -hmm. Back the most badass people, and the whole key to building the business is momentum. It's just when you're at a you know, standstill starting, how do you get momentum as fast as possible? So the name full tilt is literally, the definition is uh, mass, uh, mass acceleration at top speed. Mm -hmm. How do you go from standstill to momentum? And, uh, and I also liked it because everyone thought it was a poker reference. Yeah. So there was yeah, like yeah. a, there was a um, kind of a contrarian definition to what everyone thought. Mm -hmm. um, and much like unqualified opinions. So. Per perfect. <laughs> uh, that, that's like stolen valor for podcasting. <laughs> you, you giving like a great double entendre reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that's it's perfect. Like, oh, actually. It's perfect. Um, and so what we did is uh, we just started investing in companies Fifty hundred thousand dollar checks and like people basically told us we were crazy we didn't know what we were doing you know all this stuff uh we invested in 64 65 companies um any specific focus none uh, well the, the focus was the most badass founders as yep. early as possible most badass founders yep. and so we literally invested in everything from <clears throat> a high performance high heel company to a company that freezes your brain and tries to upload your memories into a computer mm -hmm. to a produce company to anti-money laundering software. And so you get the crypto itch when? So this is late there's, there's, two, there's two elements to uh, crypto. So one is we invested actually in hindsight in a bunch of, I don't wanna say anti-banking, but just like FinTech related companies. So we invested in a company that uh, they basically are attacking the banks by providing uh, overdraft coverage. Mm -hmm. so a lot of people don't realize the top four banks made $8 billion in the last year Huge. from, and they all do it through nefarious stuff, right? Oh yeah. Like you got 20 bucks left in your account, you swipe three times, two of the charges are under 20 bucks and you should be okay. That third time you swipe, they actually route the third charge first, overdraft, and then they get you twice more for the other two charges. So you overdraft three times and they make mm -hmm. more money, 35 bucks at a time. So this company, Bridget, Guy left the bank and was like, this is stupid. I'm gonna you know, yeah. do it. He's got tens of thousands of users blowing up. Another company we invested in uh, called Bravo Capital, they basically use data to underwrite loans. Mm -hmm. And then there's this semi-automated process on how they get the money, the principal and the interest back. Yep. Uh, so a lot of the tokenization stuff early there, but they're not blockchain based, they're not crypto based. Uh, and then we also invested in uh, the former chief compliance officer of Facebook Payments Left, creating anti-money laundering software. So invested in that. Um, and so out of this portfolio of 65 companies, again, everyone's telling us we're crazy, it's exploded. We got a company that in three years, they're doing over $100 million in annualized revenue, we're in the first round. Um, we got two other companies, I think, that now have broken over $100 million valuation. All the signs look great. We returned a bunch of capital investors, all the stuff. And while we're doing this, we're talking to founders before they start the companies. So mm -hmm. they're all talking to us about interesting areas. Blockchain, crypto, Bitcoin just keeps coming up, right? 16, yep. and uh, towards the end of 16, um, finally, all right, I gotta figure this out. Now, the story that everyone always has is like, when did I first hear about Bitcoin? Mm -hmm. 2014, working at Facebook, when we hired David Marcus, he came from PayPal, mm -hmm. and there had been talk about Bitcoin and remittance payments and all this yep. stuff. Yep. I turned to this engineer, I was like, hey, what is this thing? Like, nah, that's stupid. Yep. Didn't Google it, didn't do it, you know, the, the classic mistake. And then when I saw it in 16, I feel like a lot of people have that, right? It's like, you have to have that story. It's, well, it, it's marketing one-on-one, right? Like you need a certain number of impressions before you make a, a decision. So true. So I feel like everybody's got that. Well, I first heard about it and I was just like, eh, 
I want I want to hear people's stories when they yeah, tell yeah, me. I always ask them, what's the first yeah. time? Because it's oh, it's not when did you fall down the rabbit holes. What was your first impression? Like, how many years did it take for you to be like, fuck? Yeah, mine, mine was like two and a half. Yeah. So like, yeah. I don't know if that's good or bad. But but the thing that caught my eye when I did the deep dive again was I essentially walked away with three things. ICOs are the dumbest investment opportunity in the world from mm-hmm. an investor seat. If I was a founder, I would go ICO my company tomorrow yes. because it's non-dilutive capital, there's no governance, there's no recourse. You're basically inventing money. Beautiful. I mean, it, it, from a founder, it's the best opportunity. From the investor, the risk reward is off the charts in terms of the risk actually being much higher than people realize. You don't mm-hmm. own anything, there's no recourse, you, know, you can't underwrite it, et cetera. So Jason and I said, you know, look, we're not gonna invest in any of the ICOs, which people were not happy when we said that. But the second thing was, the core thesis was every single asset, every stock, bond, currency, commodity will be digital. Mm-hmm. Blockchain is likely to be the path, but they're all gonna be digital. And US dollars digital today, right? You already get a digital stock certificate on Carta or AngelList. Like this is going to be pervasive across all assets. Uh, blockchain looks like a good way to do that. And then the third uh, was the infrastructure. Like we didn't think we were in the early 90s. We thought we were like in the late 70s, early 80s yep. in terms of if you built a data center then with servers, you made money for the next 30 years and you didn't care what internet companies were successful or not. You just wanted data going through the pipes. Yep. My family's been in the data center business for 40 years. And so I had that context. And then two, mining and the data centers are the identical business with two very critical differences. You get space, you plug power in, you put computers, and you rent the computing power out. In one of those scenarios, a traditional CPU, you have to rent it out to customers. Mm-hmm. Got to deal with all kinds of customer acquisition, support, they don't pay on time, all this stuff. In mining, you rent the computing power to an algorithm. It's like clockwork, right? Bitcoin's mm-hmm. never down. It's always paying you, right? We know. And so, <laughs> see, that's marketing right there. Uh, and, and so what you're doing is you're driving... Uh, revenue from a source that is much more dependable than the customer, and you also don't have to go acquire the customer. So that was attractive. The second thing was in the data center business, you're getting seven to twelve percent annualized returns. Here we're getting paid twelve to fifteen percent a month. So, so, so you were chart. so you were mining first. My very first investment in crypto was I bought uh, about fifty thousand dollars worth of mining hardware and like used one of these services where you basically like buy it, they you know host it for you, mm-hmm. the whole nine yards. And I was, I was blown away because I'm looking at the financials from the data center business and I'm looking at what we're doing on the mining. And it's like, holy shit. Like, we have to... This is not this. Bitcoin, then. This is other... So we started with Ethereum first yep. and then we eventually got into Bitcoin. And, and this uh, was 17, then. So this is like end of 16 and then very early... Right before the big run. Yeah. Yeah. So like that, nice caught, that, that caught our attention because we were doing Ethereum, yep. right? And so I told Jason about this mine. I, I, I actually did it without telling him at first because I was scared he was going to think I was crazy. <laughs> and so I told him, I was like, hey, man, this is actually going pretty well. And uh, Jason had personally invested, and then I personally invested in a company called PRTI. Um, Jason actually stepped in uh, to be the CEO. It's a power company. Mm-hmm. Car tires get taken in uh, on the front end as a waste management business. Yep. So the, the uh, tire manufacturers drop off uh, these tires. We then take the tires and we put them into reactors and we burn them uh, in this what they call thermal demanufacturing. The tire gets broken into oil, steel, carbon, syn gas. We sell the oil and the steel as a um, commodity, and then the oil, uh, the carbon and the syn gas just gets turned into power. That power, the pro forma, was to sell it into the grid, but the business is profitable without monetizing the power. Mm-hmm. So we're sitting there, and Jason goes, "Oh my God, why don't we just mine crypto with that power? It's more profitable." rather than sell it into the grid. 
And so Jason, you know, gets all the credit in the world for basically making this bold bet. Let's just build the mine right there on the, the power uh, plant. Uh, built that, couldn't have been better, couldn't have been more um, advantageous for us. And what it forced us to do was now go for scale. And so as we got into scale, what we realized was you understand from the very you know basic level of the hardware, how a blockchain works, you know why is mining important, um, what kind of wallet do we need, right? We're mining, yep. you're gonna get the, the tokens deposited, what's the best wallet? What's the best exchange to go and get fiat from? And you kind of work your way through the industry and very quickly, him and I just said, look, there's incredible opportunity here. There's real entrepreneurs building this stuff. We think this is gonna be a massive industry. And we're looking around the room and it wasn't cool yet for investors to brag about, like the kind of the, the yeah. tier one investors. They, they were investing, but no one really knew they were investing yet. Yeah. And so we said, we think that we can go and if we focus just on this, there's an opportunity that you can become one of the best um, and, and ultimately become the best at doing this. And uh, so our second fund, we said we're not going to do anything else other than this. We just ran, ran kind of all in. Uh, and so what what is the um, overlap or interplay between Full Tilt and Morgan Creek? Yeah. Uh, so Jason and I showed GP in both. Uh, yeah, so, so we had Full Tilt. Uh, we were going to raise the second fund, wrote this letter to our LP saying we're going to go do all of this. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we got a little confident, right? We, we just deployed this first fund. <laughs> we did some SPVs into Reddit, SpaceX, Lyft, you know, all these things. And we said, let's go raise money from institutions. Well, yeah. let's, let's go the endowments. They got big dollars. And uh, we said, before we go do that, we're like working out of a Starbucks. Yeah. So, you know, we, we don't know what we don't know. We're just mm -hmm. two dudes who, frankly, are just happy to be here. You know, we want to hang out with founders. And so I met Mark uh, when we invested in Lyft. Mm -hmm. And I went to him, and, and the first conversation, he was trying to learn more about the, uh, the mining. He thought that was super fascinating with infrastructure. Uh, he had previously been an LP in uh, Pantera. Then when they converted to crypto, he was one of the first LPs in their venture fund, all mm -hmm. this stuff. I was trying to learn from him about the institutional world. How do you raise money from all these big things? And we just realized over about 50 meetings between me, him, and Jason, if we do this together, mm -hmm. like it's a one plus one equals three or four scenario. So yeah. we merged the firms together, but we also knew that this was going to be very different, right? There's some compartmentalizing <laughs> of the risk. Um, there's also the idea of like, let's go build a digital business, all yep. this. And so when we put the two firms together, we created something called Morgan Creek Digital. Morgan Creek Digital is a, uh, a separate legal entity under the Morgan Creek brand, but it gave Jason and I access to all of their infrastructure. So sales and marketing, you know, RA license, BD license, compliance, you know, accounting, all that stuff. Everything we needed to do to be legit. Mm -hmm. And then it gave them direct, you know, investing experience in this asset class with everything that we come with, good or bad. Uh, and frankly, I think Jason and I would say it couldn't have gone better. And I think so far so good. Mark yeah. as well, right? Yeah. It, it's just that move uh, allowed us to accelerate. Mm -hmm. Now we just got to go find good companies to invest in. It's that easy, right? Um, it becomes a heck of a lot more easy when you're uh, actually getting inbound, right? <laughs> and, and, and so what I think you learned very early, and I think many people in the industry that have scaled very quickly have learned early, if you put out good content, uh, stuff comes back to you 10 times over. You're gonna right. love this. Here, so here's my trick. I, I don't believe in having secrets that no one can copy. So yeah, I just yeah. tell people exactly, the thing that you I just know- gotta, You just gotta outperform. Well, the thing that I know that nobody else knows is I'm not building an investment firm. I'm building a media company that we monetize through asset management. And, Amen. And the way that you 
build that is very different than if you build an asset management firm where marketing is an afterthought. Yes. And I can tell everyone that there is next to zero percent chance that 99% of those people are going to be able to come compete with us. We just think we can out execute them. Yep. And so that is a very different approach. And I always tell our LPs the same thing. I say, look, I, I can, wouldn't put you guys in the same category, but that is how the presidency was won the last time around. Oh, right? no, 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 no. So people who look at what AOC is doing, Donald exactly. Trump, all these people, they are marketers. They are yes. showing you the formula as to what works on the internet. And we can argue over is the impact of that good or bad, a whole other discussion. But what they are showing you is exactly what works. And so you can choose not to participate for mm -hmm. whatever, you know, if you don't believe it, you don't think you're good at it, whatever. But the blueprint's out there. And I look at it as asset management firms, especially venture, they all argue over like, oh, our our VCs are better. Our network's better. You know, we, yeah, we had bigger eggs. It's, it's like this, like, you know, this pissing contest of who's better at. Well, it's a, pissing, table it's, it's a pissing contest, but it's also show me the numbers. Well, it's just table stakes. Right? Like, yeah. you have to have a good network. You have to be able to help yep. the founders. You have to not be an asshole, right? All that stuff is table stakes <laughs> to being an investor. Well, the last one maybe. <laughs> enough, but <laughs> it helps. Yeah. yeah. And, and so the way we look at it is. We don't want to ever tell an LP we're better than everyone else at X. We want to tell LPs we do something that no one else can repeat. Yes. And so if you think about uh, the distribution engine we've built, the moat gets bigger every day. Mm -hmm. There's more followers. There's more engagement, right? And so why do people, to your comment about inbound, founders and companies come to us on a daily basis and they say, I want you to invest in my company. I don't care how much because when I call you and tell you turn the turn the machine on, I want you to just blow it out of the water and get me distribution. And what we found is like, if you come to me and you tell me that you're launching a product, I will shut your website down, right? We will bring so much traffic. It's happened multiple times now. I can shut your website down with how much traffic we can drive. And on top of that, I can drive more traffic than Bloomberg, CNBC, you know, all these websites. That is powerful. But there's also like a responsibility to being able to do that. Well, because if you, if you do it for the wrong counterparties, Everything that you work to build gets imagine, thrown imagine, right out the window. So imagine it's, people it's, it's, it's actually higher stakes than VC managing a brand. Oh yeah, because VC you're spraying bets and it's a, it's a portfolio. Allocation how, how many issue. investors? But, but if you want to brag about their portfolio, exactly. Right, right. So it, that that is a higher hurdle. I mean, there might be very good businesses uh, that you could back, but if it's something that for whatever reason there's going to be potential blowback, it, it makes you think about the calculus a little different. Versus, can I make a ton of money? Uh, mm -hmm. To your point about the ICO boom, can I make a ton of money if I join as an advisor? Right? This is the situation that I was in in 2017, having you know uh, transition out of CoinDesk. Could I could I make a lot of money by getting these like twenty five, fifty thousand, hundred thousand dollar offers for fucking uh, vaporware? Yeah, <laughs> you, you, you could have had a full time then, job doing it. And, and in hindsight, maybe I should have because then I'd retire, my brand wouldn't matter. But um, but there there was a certain uh, element of of sleaziness that went, especially with the ICO boom. But I think it's true for anyone that is trying to um, build up a personal or company brand based around authenticity and uh, some type of unique insights. That, that gets thrown a lot, around a lot, like thought leadership. Mm -hmm. But it's obvious like who's actually walking the walk mm -hmm. and, and adding value mm -hmm. on a day-to-day -day basis, helping you cut through the noise. I think you do this with, with your newsletter and the podcast. And it's really it's resonated with people because um, the, the tweets aside, <laughs> Uh, which we're going to talk about the dichotomy between that. Um, it resonates with people because you save them time, you save them energy, and mm -hmm. you actually like cut through the bullshit. So um, let's talk about 
That's Mar- Twitter. <laughs> marketing versus me, right? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. Uh, you've said flat out, yep. Marketing or Twitter is not about nuance. No, not at all. <laughs> it is if you're trying to have an intellectual conversation on Twitter, yes. you're, you're on the wrong platform. Yes. It, and, and, and here's how I talk about it. Marketing is about entertainment. Yep. That, that's all it is. Can you hold people's attention? And, and I say it all the time that audience is a new currency, mm-hmm. right? That if you have audience, you're able to do things that other people can't do. You can get access to things that other people can't get access to, et cetera. We see this with like Instagram and YouTube influencers, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't give a shit about being an influencer. What I do care about is that the right people are paying attention. And the way that I describe it to RLPs is every single day, hundreds of thousands of people listen to a podcast, read a newsletter, and watch these tweets. And they're getting content every day. And some days, in a very transparent way, I take the news and I swap it out for a promotional thing for one of our companies. So BlockFi is a great example. Mm-hmm. The day they launch this product, right? I talk to the team and they say, okay, on Tuesday, we're going to launch this thing, whatever. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write in the newsletter. I'm going to push it on the podcast. I'm going to tweet about it, all stuff. And when we did that, the amount of traffic we can drive is incredible. Mm-hmm. Now, to your point about you got to make sure you're doing it for the right companies. We got more skin in the game than most. We're literally investors in the company. Mm-hmm. Two is we're super transparent about we're doing this for a company. We invest, Literally, first sentence I think I wrote in the newsletter was we invested in this company. Yep. And then the third thing is you've got to be prepared for the blowback. And so one of the things that I made a decision very early on was I'm okay being wrong in public. Right? I, I don't care about being wrong as long as I'm right more times than I'm wrong. And then two is when people have that blowback, you've got to have really tough skin. right? And the BlockFi announcement was the perfect example. We did what we thought we could do, right? and we drove all this traffic. <clears throat> Incredible blowback. People calling us, you know, we're shilling stuff, we're scam artists, all this stuff. And you just gotta sit there and say, do I believe in what they're doing? Yeah. And if you believe in what they're doing, you kind of just box out all the noise and just keep going. Now you say that, but you and I and a number of other people, uh, I think have pretty thick skin oh, yeah. that, are, that are on crypto Twitter especially. But you took a break. Oh yeah, yeah, I took right? a break. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've taken a break. Um, so why'd you take a break? Same reasons. Right. Uh, well, uh, mine, mine were um, partially I was sick of dealing with uh-huh. the bullshit during yep. the euphoria. Um, and second of all, because I was getting so sick of it, I was getting increasingly oh, like you're sucked irritable. in and yeah, irritable yeah, yeah. And, 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 and pissed off. And it was reflecting in, yep. in like the tone of the tweets. And I was like, you know, I don't, I don't have time for that. Uh, it's just it's bad for everybody. Right. Yep. No one wants to see. Like I've said my piece, this market cycle is going to play itself out, and yep. so I should just take a step back. That's exactly why I, I was. But yours was different because you were getting you were getting uh, harassed. Uh, so I, I was getting harassed. This is mid twenty eighteen. So people were especially so biting at that point. I, t- I because took, the market was coming down. Yeah. So it was really really bad and toxic. <laughs> Two was uh, I'm going to say what I believe, right? And the problem with doing that, there's a lot of benefits, right? Mm-hmm. People are attracted to the authenticity, etc. The problem is that when people disagree, they will say back really aggressive things because yes. they're like, oh, this dude can handle it, right? And, uh, and the tipping point for me was, was uh, I started thinking about taking a break when I realized that I was probably saying and, and becoming a person online. Mm-hmm. I was like, this isn't me. Like, I actually enjoy being nice to everyone, whether you're nice to me or not, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And kind of take the nice guy route most of the time. But I, I, like, it was like on a daily basis. I was like getting in these spats with people and I just felt like I was getting sucked in. Right. Yes. And the final exactly. straw to me was, uh, I think I know who it was, doesn't matter who it is, uh, but somebody created an anonymous account 
and uh, they created two of them, one on Twitter and one on Medium, mm -hmm. and they were just saying just nasty shit. And then, was it a parody account? No, th no, this yeah. was like completely not like didn't even have a just, photo. Just just attack. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, at one point there was a statement that could have been taken as a death threat. I didn't take it that way, but mm -hmm. it was borderline. Um, and I was just like, this isn't, yeah. this is stupid. And so I just like, look, I'm taking a break. Uh, I didn't know how long. I knew I was gonna come back. Like the marketing machine is too valuable. Yeah. It was just like, let's all just kind of calm down. And when I came back, it was fine. Well, what's what's wild about that is you're one of the most positive people on Twitter. Crazy, right? I understand when I get death threats. <laughs> <laughs> well, you go after people. <laughs> like when I go after people, I know there's gonna be blowback, right? So, but I, I was I, in in their defense. And again, I don't want to defend them, but I was going after people yep. in the sense of uh, I felt like it was unfair. People who I actually agree with mm -hmm. the way in which they were attacking people, I yep. felt was not the appropriate way. Uh, and I think that, again, it was mostly bear market, just blues of people like, dude, this thing is just falling off a cliff. Mm -hmm. Where's the bottom? Right. Yep. And, uh, and look, I wasn't around in 2014, right? so I don't know how kind of the last bear market played out. But from what everyone tells me, like, it's pretty similar, right? And it, was, so, it was similar. It was just it was a lot less. Less. <laughs> right. So and, 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 you know, you knew a lot of the people. Right. Mm -hmm. So you'd bicker or whatever. And you'd be yep. Like, Fuck you, no fuck you, and then you'd see each other for drinks. You'd be like, all right, this this market sucks. <laughs> right now, it's just it's it's orders of magnitude. There's there's a lot of retail investors that have lost a lot of money from uh, from from some of the shadier ICOs, mm -hmm. and so uh, I I'd agree. It, it, I think in the last year it was particularly uh, much more toxic, and it was the first time that Bitcoin was seriously challenged in terms of. Um, monetary supremacy I'd say because yep, ether there are a lot of people that believe and I don't know how this is going to play out but but you can certainly make the case that ether as a reserve currency for other tokens and other tokenized assets has a lot of monetary properties which yeah. bitcoin has been very very rigorously focused on peer-to-peer -peer payment settlement like the gold use case this is a great point that is also tangentially related to your idea of like twitter's not for nuance right so somebody asked yes. me the other day they said uh, why do you always talk about bitcoin in most cases, for people outside of like the really hardcore crypto enthusiasts, Bitcoin is a proxy for all of crypto, for crypto yeah. right? And so the audience is confusing. Yeah, Bitcoin but, has like a narrative. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I'm not shy in telling people I'm not here to talk to the hardcore crypto enthusiast or the developer. Mm -hmm. I'm here to talk to the mass audience, and I'm here to talk to institutional investors who sometimes the first question they ask is, "Isn't all of this illegal?" Right? I mean, like that's the start of what is a blockchain, yes. right? Like that's where we're starting sometimes. And so if that's my perspective, that's my target audience, I'm going to talk differently than everyone else. Mm -hmm. Now, on top of that, Bitcoin, because it serves as a proxy, when I'm talking about Bitcoin, I actually do mean Bitcoin, but a lot of times I also mean crypto in general, right? Yeah. I'm using their terminology. And so I think that there's just, there's no nuance on Twitter. And then two is this idea that like, Bitcoin's gonna fail and everyone else is gonna succeed. It will be horrible for crypto yes. if Bitcoin fails, right? Like it may actually be fatal in some people's minds yes. that the number one asset that all of these people who are, want to be excited, they're, they're cautiously optimistic about the industry. If the only asset they know fails, mm -hmm. you think Quadrigo is bad? <laughs> it would it's, be it's, disastrous. It's, it's, it's borderline game over. I agree with that. Yeah. And, yeah. and so to me, like... Or, or it's, uh, it's this game over, right? Maybe the reset yeah, yeah, button gets hit and then it's, you know, it's like post... 
dot com bust yeah. cycle where it's a very very slow ramp and it's it's a much different community, but it's it's hard to imagine that getting bootstrapped again. I. I put the number at more than 50% of the institutional investors I talked to could tell you the difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum. Like the second largest mm -hmm. cryptocurrency available. Some of them don't even know what Ethereum is. And some of them- It doesn't matter because they're not developers. They just want to know, is this a place where we should be putting five basis points? Exactly. That's so it. It's, it's very, yeah, the, com the conversations are very, very different. That, and then look, and on the other side too, you would be surprised how many institutional investors are bought into the idea that the US dollar is in trouble, right? Like, like, there's, oh, yeah. like there's actually a, a, a lot of very smart, financially driven or financially educated people believe that. I mean, Ray Dalio is out on saying it might fail next year. Yeah, <laughs> no, it, and, and, it, and it's, only, it's, it's only accelerating because with each administration, each election in the US, everybody, just kind of throws up their hands like, well, we've kept spending money and the, and the market keeps going up and so we're not gonna not legislate our pet programs or actually solve any of this. Um, and now like, you know, the big meme is, is uh, MMT, Modern Monetary Theory, um, which no one knows what they're actually talking about, but now it's like a big thing on, on, on yeah. crypto Twitter. Um, and, uh, but but the, the gist is basically we can, con we can continue to print money because the US dollar is our leading export and financial services is 20, 25% of the economy. So, so whatever, we'll just keep doing it until the music stops. And then, well, I was gonna say, I know so what the fuck happens. I've talked about this, and, and I think that you're, you're generally in this age range where 25 to 35 year olds are more excited about crypto than the like 18 to 22 year olds, in my experience, right? I am in that age range. I, I look older, but I am in that age range. All right, so I'm, I'm dead square <laughs> in that age range, so we're, we're good. Uh, but, but in that, I think that one of the key pieces to why that specific demographic is so excited about crypto and sees the potential is we grew up in a world where our parents never thought that large financial institutions or the government could fail or you know bad in the sense of they were doing like you know things that added too much risk etc they were seen as steady you know kind of sturdy organizations that that was what you did you became friends with the banker they gave you a loan for your home you had a nice life etc we all came of age where we were cognizant of the financial crisis, right? The, the global financial crisis, but we weren't like in a position where we had enough assets at risk, where we were financially hurt yes. and got scared. So we saw these institutions basically come to their knees and, and literally have the government bail them out. And we saw it, we understood it. We were like, that's not good. And then we started to actually make a living, right? We, we kind of, then we graduated or, or we just graduated. And so I think that we saw it and now we're in a position to do something about it. And that memory is still here. I think there's some truth to that. I think the, the only thing that I would say, it's a little bit different. I actually think that the, um, that it was, it was 10 times worse because right. we, uh, we didn't have risk assets. Yes. Instead it was like a lifestyle readjustment because the market goes down 50% as long as people didn't panic sell that actually had a nest egg, mm -hmm. all right, it's back up yeah, way, yeah, over, yeah, yeah, way over where it was previously, you know, 75% from like the previous all time high, something like that. Um, but that doesn't really apply when you're just starting out and now like all the career, like there's 50% underemployment for, for like college grads. Like, Crazy. You try to afford rent in the city. Like, Good luck if you're not mm -hmm. working uh, a, a very, very good financial services or, or, or other coveted job right out of mm -hmm. school. Um, and, you know, people got student loans and, like, no path to owning a home because property values are so high. It's, it's actually much more pernicious because it's mm -hmm. been gradual and just 
like a total reset of I think people's lifestyle for sure and then you see the government and, and like it's the same shit different like ends of the spectrum every single like four-year two-year cycle year so um, long-term super bullish for Bitcoin Bitcoin proper crypto mm-hmm. um, but uh, <laughs> like terrifying right it, it, it's almost uh, and this is how I got into the industry which is just uh, at some point this is gonna stop so this seems like a pretty interesting replacement for gold for digital natives and it was as simple as that. And then every single year that passes, I don't care that it came down 75, 80%. It's like that thesis five years ago was the right one. Now it's really the right one. And I think the thing that you're in touch with that people don't understand is this institutions are coming meme um, is not uh, limited in truth. It's limited by the fact that the industry's infrastructure still isn't there. Like qualified custodians, the ETF, and quality data so that these guys can prove that they've executed trades and made investments in a responsible manner. Um, so, and, and I also think that, what, what, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, and, and there's a, there's a narrative uh, violation. I, I don't know where I heard that terminology, but I really like violation. Yeah, narrative violation in that the crypto community wants to believe that this entire movement is about decentralization, like burn down Wall Street, change the world, all this stuff. One, I don't necessarily agree with that. Two, I think that institutions... Certainly not anymore. Yeah, and, and institutions mm-hmm. are scared shitless of that narrative. Yep. And then three is the... I, I'm going to tell everyone, anyone who's trying to raise institutional capital, here is the pitch that works. We are moving to a digital world. We were an analog world. We went to an electronic world where we had ones and zeros moved around on the screen, but you still had to settle the physical assets. Mm-hmm. We're now going to a world that's digital. And in a digital world, you need three things. You need digitally native assets, assets that are created in the digital world, transacted, held. They always stay in the digital world. They're not tied to physical assets. Two, you need digitally native accounting, triple triple entry accounting that prevents the double spend of computer files. Mm -hmm. And three, you need digitally native contracts, the ability for automation to take place between parties or transactions, machine-to-machine transactions. Digitally native assets, digitally native accounting, digitally native contracts. I didn't use crypto, blockchain, any of that that kind of super sexy uh, terminology describing that. Institutions believe in automation. They believe in a digital world. Mm -hmm. They don't give a shit about your shit coin, your ICO, any of this stuff. And so what they want to understand is, I believe in a digital world that's going to be automated, et cetera. How can you help me gain exposure to that trend? And newsflash, it's usually not through the ICOs. It's usually not through this stuff. It is going to be through owning equity in businesses, holding some of the largest assets that are non-correlated, asymmetric return, like the things that crypto enthusiasts and probably even you and I are most excited about in crypto are two or three years away from the institutions even allowing people to have that conversation behind closed doors. They're not going to invest in that stuff today, right? So we have to understand where they are in their process of learning about the asset, deploying capital, et cetera. And we need to go talk to them and say, you want to invest in equity? Great. There's plenty of equity opportunities. In fact, if you had invested in Coinbase, Kraken, Binance, Bitmain, et cetera, their seed and Series A's, you would have outperformed the appreciation of Bitcoin in the same time frame. Mm-hmm. So the equity actually was a better financial investment than Bitcoin. That doesn't mean you shouldn't invest in Bitcoin, but having those nuanced conversations with them are really important. And I think that we're now getting enough asset managers in crypto to have those conversations, mm-hmm. and it's going to pay off over the next two years. What's, what's really interesting about that point is the, the industry has also hit an inflection point that not many people talk about, which is you can now make 
investments that you can expect to outperform the underlying. Oh, for sure. For sure. That was not the case. You know, uh, you think about mining. I mean, we, we made these calculations um, at, at DCG, right, mm -hmm. when, when we were investing in the last bear market. Would I rather purchase Bitcoin or invest in a mining company? Yeah. You've got all of this company-specific risk and team-specific risk, yep. and you've got to worry about no liquidity, like the margin compression, uh, and 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 you know, will this team be able to keep up uh, mm -hmm. on, on the hardware innovation side? Um, didn't make a whole lot of sense, right? Um, the exchanges. Well, you know that if the exchanges are going to grow in value, then the underlying needs to grow in value, value, mm -hmm. and there needs to be more volatility. Mm -hmm. So. What's the break even for you to invest in an equity exchange yep. versus like the underlying asset? And now there's not another thousand X to go for Bitcoin, right? Just depends. Yes, yes. Well, I, I, if, I, I, right. if there is another thousand X and the dollar cease to exist, yep. right? Yep. Um, the probability is in the next bull market, there's a 30 to 50 X on the table as possible. I mean, yes. it's going to happen, mm -hmm. right? And so the comparison is if you're a venture investor investing in the early stage, you're shooting for much more than 30, 50 X in your companies. Yes, exactly. So now, now there's a path to making equity investments, which, which, which I think is very different. And it's, it's much healthier as you think about this infrastructure build out versus previous ones. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's, uh, that's exciting. It's, it's certainly within your thesis. Um, one, one thing uh, you've always been transparent about, like here's the playbook. I'm not, I'm not hiding anything. Like, yes, I capitalized whoa, because I know that I just got 20% more impressions. Yep because that's how the game is played. Um, maybe we won't focus on the tricks necessarily, Yep. but what are some of the things that entrepreneurs, investors, yep. people that are serious, that are full throttle in this industry, maybe they're just starting out or maybe they're just trying to stand out amidst the sea of noise. What are the narrative rules yeah. that well, have to be followed? Forget about like the, the tweet structure. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. narrative rules, your, your post about contracts, accounting, assets, digitally native, on one line, yep. it works. You didn't use any terminology. Yep. How can that be applied consistently across? So I'm going to answer this in two ways. One is there are uh, there's two approaches you can take. You can say, hey, I want to be known for the ideas that I put out there and kind of be public, or mm -hmm. I just want to do whatever I'm going to do in private. If you choose to go the public route, I always tell people that it comes down to the quality and the consistency of the content. Too many people are not willing to put in the work to actually create the content. Right, and so it's you know, outsourced. Look, you, yeah. you do the same way that I do. Right, every freaking day, I wake up and I write this damn thing. Mm -hmm. There's days where I don't want to write it, <laughs> and I'm like, I have to write it. I write, I record podcasts, I do all this stuff. Twitter, I spend hours a day responding to people and doing all this stuff. Mm -hmm. My girlfriend would get rid of Twitter for me. She would pay any amount of money to get it off my phone. Right, and there's times where she'll literally say to me after dinner, "I appreciate you not being on your phone at dinner." And I feel like an asshole that she's saying that to me, but she understands that I spent three hours today on Twitter, right? It's it's LinkedIn, it's Salesforce, it's MailChimp, it's 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 the whole it's professional development package. If you do it right, yes, right, and, and to your point, you put the time in. So so it's consistency and then the quality. You can't be a complete asshole, right? You yes. can't you can't do it. But but if you have the consistency and quality, you're good. The second thing is, well, you can. It depends on your brand, right? You cannot 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, true. That's true. The bar is much higher for you than it is for me, right? Like, my, for <laughs> you can you for, can train your audience, audience for expectations. For, yeah, for, for for me, I always get like one or two rants a week. That like, yeah, that's fine. Like, all right, that's just that's just TBI, right? Oh. That that's part of that's, that comes with the territory. <laughs> and then people see me in person, like you grab a drink and like settle up, whatever. Yeah, yeah that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but so you, the stakes are much higher. Yeah, you can never make a mistake. So, so I think that's one. <laughs> but no, no pressure. Two, well, two, well, two is also. Uh, I think that. There are too many people that think intelligence is mm-hmm. measured through the intellectual Olympics. Or I think uh, Joe Carlson and yes. Nelson uh, recently they called it uh, the, the thought leadership Olympics, right? Yes. Like just this idea that like I have to use big words, I have to use complex topics. Mm-hmm. Also, like no, actually the simplest language is going to win here, yes. right? And so I think that it is easy to write the really hot, complex things. Like that doesn't make you smart. When I see that, I actually think you're dumb. And People get mad when I say that, but I think that you're oh, dumb. I, I agree. Because you don't have enough command to explain mm-hmm. this in a simple language. You actually couldn't teach this to a little kid. Yes. You actually didn't take enough time to take your 37-page medium post and put it into six paragraphs. Right? I, I, I always find what's uh, fascinating. I think it's Japan. Okay. Um, it's, it, may, it might be multiple countries where the newspapers mm-hmm. are maybe even required to only use the top thousand most common words. Oh wow, that's pretty um, cool. I, I know I'm not just pulling that yep, out of yeah, thin yeah. air. I'm There's something. Fa- I think it's Japan. It's something. But regardless, maybe I just did totally yep. make that up. I feel like if that were actually the case, it'd be awesome. Uh, communications would be so much more fluid. Yep. Elon Musk talks about this even with SpaceX. Yep. Stop using jargon and acronyms. Um, what is Twitter? Speak clearly. Yes. Twitter is the people who get rewarded on Twitter are the people who could take highly complex ideas and boil it down and explain it in less than 280 characters and usually in the simplest language. Yes. Right? And so like, to me, that is why Twitter, Twitter is Twitter so 280 valuable. has made us all intellectually lazier. <laughs> it it, it <laughs> absolutely has. absolutely has. And so I think that that's one piece. The other piece is uh, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. There's not a new theory that needs to be created every week, right? The I, I'm in awe of public market investors or long-term private equity investors, right? If, if you're on Twitter, these are the Brent B. Shores, the Patrick O'Shaughnessy's, all these guys who uh, really take a different view than the like hyper short-term profit-driven crypto traders, right? Mm-hmm. And the thing is, they have a strategy, and they're going to deploy that strategy over thirty years. Like that time frame in crypto, first of all, feels like one hundred and fifty years, mm-hmm. and then two is they know that the consistency of effort and the discipline of the application of their strategy far outweighs having to be smart, right? And I think it's Brent, um, who, who I, I'm just super impressed by the guy, mm-hmm. but he, he, one time- Park Invest, right? Uh, no, right. Brent, Brent is uh, Adventures. Uh, uh, Adventures, and then it's like .es is, is the website. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's him who said, you know, it's like a Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger quote that's just like, look, my job is just to not be dumb, right? Or like to, yes. to like to like all I have to do is just not be stupid, and I'm going to be okay because the strategy is sound. I think. And then there's a corollary to that: if you're so smart, why aren't you rich? <laughs> exactly, right? Which and is so especially like, true. Crypto is the perfect example of like there are some very very specific strategies mm-hmm. that we know are likely to work. The probability outweighs the risk. People don't want to do them because it's not sexy enough. It's not, like it doesn't uh, let them brag how smart they are. And so like, 
Bitcoin is one of the things that just blows my mind. I, I talk to fund managers all the time and I'm like, so how do you guys think about all these assets, whatever? A lot of times they don't talk about Bitcoin. They immediately jump to all these other things and I wait. We're an hour, hour and a half in the conversation. I said, well, what do you think about Bitcoin? Mm -hmm. And it's almost like a throwaway, like, uh, like it, you know, it's, it's stupid, right? Like we, we are doing things that are going to generate alpha. Mm -hmm. And you're looking, you're saying, wait a minute, it's the best performing asset over the last 10 years. Yeah. Wait, like, what, what are you talking about, <laughs> right? It actually outperformed everything else. And so I think that that's the, the thing, again. The best performing asset of all time. Yeah, you, you, right? just, you, can, you, you <laughs> just have to be comfortable knowing I don't need to be the smartest dude, yeah. right? I don't need to be the smartest woman. All I need to be is good enough to accomplish the goal that I want. And it's okay if I use somebody else's idea. Like, you still benefit from somebody else's idea. That's okay. Yeah, I am I am never going to write a better, more cogent tweet storm than Naval's Markets Will Replace Networks. Dude's a genius, right? That I mean, that, that took like 30 years of reflection mm -hmm. and life experience. And I, no one is gonna, no one is gonna be able to reinvent that. Like there are, certain, there are certain things uh, and I single that one out because it's probably one of the more uh, well-known. But there are certain theses that you just you point to it and you're like, yeah, what what he or she said. It, uh, it's I'm like some gonna, people are great I'm at the ideas. Some people are great at the delivery of the ideas. Mm -hmm. Some people are great at implementing the ideas. Like all you have to understand, and, and again, you know, look, all the great investors talk about the same thing, right? What do you do that again? You're not just better than everybody else. What do you do that is different? That you have a, a special skill. You have to be self-aware enough to understand that. Once you understand that, just triple down on it. Don't worry about everything else, right? And, and I think that that is a part of crypto that we we get sucked into this idea. It's the whole industry, right? Of like, oh, it's the polymath, you know, industry. Like, you have to be good at everything. That's not true, yeah. right? It's actually most of the most successful people in the world were good at one thing, and they did it better than anybody else in the world, and because it was nobody else was doing it, right? And so it's the whole belief that like concentration builds wealth, diversification keeps wealth. Mm -hmm. That's not only true of just money. That's also true of skills, intelligence, etc. Just the playbook's easy. Just what are you better than everybody else at? Because no one else Keep can it do simple. it. And just go do it. Well, uh, master communicator. Uh, Maybe I actually by, don't even maybe, think I'm that good at it. Well, that, you that's know, the but, worst part. I actually don't think I'm that good at it. Well, by this industry standards, the bar is so low that you just have to kind of like casually step over it. So, you know, just take a fucking compliment every once in a while. Uh, Anthony Pompliano, uh, the only person that would get me to do an hour podcast uh, when I said I was going to try to keep all these to 30 minutes. Um, but I, I was know, late. I was late. I'm an asshole. I was late. No, I wasn't even. No, I wasn't even going. No, 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 I was I'm, just saying. I was apologizing just saying, to everybody that I was late. Yeah, I was I just saying like, the, the, the the length. Don't worry about it. It happens. The the, uh, the length. Uh, I felt like someone had to do like a profile of you, like you do for so many other folks, yeah. right? So do this you, one, this one would be an exception, just because Pomp has never been able to in, interview himself. Do Do you want to know why I do the podcast? It's uh, the greatest hack to get interesting people to come talk to you. Yeah, it's it's all like it's the most self-serving thing. Hey, we should we should have a business development meeting. <laughs> it's so but true. then I should also double this up with marketing. I mean, yeah, it's exactly the same thing, right? So we're gonna talk, turn off the camera, talk shop, right now, both of us. We're um, we're, uh, we're gonna share secrets and and share share secrets and uh, and create the crypto podcasting cabal behind the scenes. 
So we can just start, we create like we a, can just start uh, indoctrinating like cartel, people. Like a podcast yes. cartel. We'll get Peter oh, McCormick. Yes. Uh, Laura Shin, right? Yep. Everybody? Yep. Uh, so I don't know. That, that's about as transparent as we're going to get with that and everything else we're going to plot behind the scenes. So, uh, guys and gals, thank you for joining. The one and only Pomp. Thanks, guys. On Twitter, a Pompliano. And uh, I will continue to bicker back and forth with them and keep them in check at 2BitIdiot. Uh, until next time, until Tuesday, have a good weekend. Peace. <laughs>